also, as you're doing that, grab your Bibles or have your access to scriptures. And we are going to be back in the book of 1 John today. We started in last week in a new series, and we're going to kind of walk our way through the book of 1 John. And the series is entitled Authentic Living Fully Integrated Lives. And so just real quickly before we jump into the passage today, we'll be looking at the remainder of chapter 1 and the first couple verses of chapter 2. I want to give you a context again, so if you weren't here, you kind of know. So the book of 1 John, written by the Apostle John, one of Jesus' earliest followers, was written to primarily a group of people in that day and age that were dealing with a number of different issues, but one of them was this thinking that was known as Gnosticism. And Gnosticism had this idea that the physical reality, so the body, and then the spiritual reality, so the spirit and the soul, were two separate things. So understanding that those things were separate meant that I could go and I could live in the physical any way that I wanted to. I could make decisions, I could do bad, I could do, do good, I could do anything that I want to do in the physical, and it would have no impact on the spiritual reality of who I am. They're two exclusively different and separate realities. And that was the mindset that people would live in. So basically, someone could acknowledge there is a God, or they could even acknowledge Jesus in some regard, and then live a life that is completely inconsistent Because what they had done is they had devised a way to live their lives in compartments. Now, fast forward 2,000 years later, does that sound at all familiar to the culture that we live in today? And to the church that we are today in reality, in terms of how we live our lives, even though we know that our lives are not supposed to be separated, compartmentalized, we find ourselves putting on different masks according to the context that we're in. We live a certain way at home, a different way at work, a different way at church, a different way at school. When we're in our neighborhood, we're engaging people. We have different masks that we put on because there's this fear inside us. If I'm really who I am and people found out that was true about me, they might reject me. And that leads to kind of this hiddenness inside of us. And so John writes to this and says, listen, no, to truly know Jesus, to truly follow God means that your life is fully integrated, which means you are who you are wherever you are. There isn't a different person or a different personality or a different reality. You are fully present because you don't have to hide what's on the inside because you're dealing with it. And that's one of the things in following Jesus you will discover. He will always and consistently bring what is inside, good or bad, to the surface so that it comes out either through this reality of who you really are in your identity or through this process called confession that gets us to a place, which we'll talk about today, of truly being forgiven and being right and pure before God and with other people. So... Today we're going to focus on a context that God has designed and created for us to live in, and it's called light. We have a tendency to live in darkness, but God wants us to live in light. God is light, and he shines light into our lives, and that's where we're supposed to live. The challenge is we don't like to stay in the light. We like to be in the dark, and today we'll talk about that. And one of the things that you have to remember when it comes to light and dark, and it comes to good and evil, or it comes to God and Satan— These are not two equally powerful sides of the same coin. The the reason I say that is that God is far greater than the darkness and what the enemy can do in our lives. And the reality of the difference between light and dark is darkness reacts to light. Light does not react to darkness. Darkness can't shine. Light can. And darkness is always found where light is shielded. Or obviously at nighttime, What we are experiencing at night is we live in a shadow at night, the shadow of our own planet that keeps us in the dark. The light still is shining 
but it's shining on the other side of the planet. And that's the reality of our life. When we find ourselves in darkness, it isn't, it isn't that the light isn't shining, it's just that we found either intentionally or unintentionally a way to shield ourselves from that light. And I think the best term to describe that is the mask that we put on to shield ourselves from the reality of God trying to shine his light so that we can keep some dark areas of our life and somehow not be found out. So newsflash, for, for those of you who don't know, God sees both sides of the mask. He sees underneath it, and he knows. And that's why we have the book of First John. And so with that understanding, let me go ahead and read this passage, and then we're going to walk through kind of the reality of how we deny being in darkness and how, what it means to actually walk and live in light. So John writes this in verse 5 of First John 1. I'll read to verse 2 of chapter 2. He said, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then uh, chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So let's walk through the passage together, starting with, with verse 6. Three things that you and I have a tendency to do when we live in the denial of the reality of darkness that is present in our life. The first thing is this, is that we deny our sin impacts our relationship with God. So John says this, if we say we have fellowship with him, talking about God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And so what he's saying is that we can actually make this statement that, hey, I'm, I'm good with God, I'm fine with God, but there are a few little areas of my life, a few little compartments that I still want to keep control of, I still want to manage, still want to hang on to, but that doesn't have anything to do with how good I am with God. So I'm over here with my little compartments, and I can step into the spirituality. I can show up at church on Sunday. I can even open my Bible. I can even pray, and I'm good with God, but I still have these few areas over here that I'm trying to manage on my own. And we think that we can do that. We live in that. We, we just don't bring all of who we are to the table when we engage God. And we leave something over here because we don't want him to touch that or address that. Or we think somehow, if I keep it over here, he really doesn't know. And what happens is that we live in this denial. We think that I can keep on sinning, even if it's just a little bit over here, and it's not going to impact anything of the reality of my walk with God. It always affects that. Because with God, there are no compartments. It's just you, and he sees all of it. But when we believe that, we're actually, we're living in denial. And what happens is over time, unresolved sin takes its toll on our lives. Sin does not stay contained in compartments, even though we think it does. Because it grows and develops and finds its way out of those compartments. And it's almost like unresolved sin every day of our lives, one sin at a time, is like building a brick wall that we didn't intend to build. That eventually, not only does it block out the neighbors and relationship, it begins to block out the sun, and it begins to block out the light that God wants to shine into our lives. And this little compartment that I'm managing over here, it's okay. Before you know it, it's dominating and controlling your life, and now it's influencing everything. 
It starts small, but it continues to build. That's why what John's saying is, listen, you, you can't say, hey, I'm good with God. We're in fellowship together. But, but yeah, there's some stuff over here, but it doesn't really matter. But what he's saying is it does matter because it's always going to influence because we're, we're, not, we're not bipolar spiritually. We're not schizophrenic, and I'm not saying, making that as a statement anyone who struggles in those areas. But God didn't design us to be fractured like that, but we found a way to try to manage our life in a fractured manner. And it leads to, in a sense, it leads to us being frustrated with our life because we know that we're not being fully who God created us to be. So the first thing is we deny that sin impacts our relationship with God. Second thing, look at verse 8. When we live in this denial of darkness, we deny that sin is an issue in our lives. So it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So in a sense, what happens is that that we get to this place, and I, I haven't met the person yet, but I'm sure that there's some person who really does exist that would say to you, I am perfect. I have no sin. I don't have any problems. might have sin in the past, but I'm, I'm good. I don't have any issues in my life. That person is completely blinded to the reality of life. But I don't think most of us struggle with making the statement that we're perfect. You know what we do struggle with is that we grade our sin on a curve. We don't necessarily say, I'm perfect, but we do say, at least I'm better than them. We find somebody else who struggles a little bit more than you do, has a few more issues than you, and you look at them and you feel good about yourself. Anybody want to admit you've ever done that? There's a story that Jesus told about, remember, a religious leader and a tax collector, and the religious leader was standing there worshiping and praying, and he's saying, oh, thank God that I'm not like that tax collector. So I'm just a little bit better. That's just as bad as you're saying you're perfect because you're denying the reality of the sin in your life. And the only answer sometimes to that is when we allow ourselves the vulnerability of looking into a spiritual mirror and see what's reflected back at us. To actually see, there actually may be something that I'm blinded to that I cannot see. We don't like to look in the mirror if we think there's something wrong with us, do we? We don't want to go see that. We don't, we don't want to ask a trusted friend, hey, when was the last time you came to a trusted friend or your spouse and said, hey, I want you to tell me everything that's wrong with me. When was the last time? Usually we don't do that. What we want to do is like Steve said, I want someone to like me. I want somebody to say something good. I want to be encouraged, right? That's what we want. But sometimes there has to be that place where we say, okay, I need to see clearly what's really going on. Even though I might not like what I see, I need to have that spiritual mirror held up to me because then I can see what's really going on. I know, I know for me, when, when I get injured, I have a tendency to be in denial. Like, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. When I, when I split my chin open playing basketball, I remember at first I didn't think I was injured. Then when I, my, my coach said, you are injured, I'm like, it's not that bad until I got in the locker room, looked in the mirror, I'm like, it is that bad. Or I had a friend, we were riding to school one day, and he cut me off, and I flew over my handlebars, and I did a face plant on the, on the concrete, and I had a big old road rash on my face, and I'm thinking, it's not that bad. And then I got home, and I walked into the bathroom, and I started screaming because it was that bad. But the only way that we find healing, the only way we get beyond it, is when we actually face the things that are true in our life, and that's when we have to look in a mirror. Otherwise, we just live in this denial that I'm, I'm just a little bit better than everybody else. See, the, the fallacy of that is when you engage in a relationship with God, he doesn't, he doesn't grade on the curve. He doesn't say, oh, you know, you're just a little bit better. He doesn't, he doesn't look at anybody else's record. He just looks at yours. And that's what he judges by, and that's why we have to come under his grace through Jesus' death on the cross, which we'll talk about and how important that is. 
Then there's a third thing of the denial of the darkness that we live in, and that is that we deny our capacity to sin. Not only do we deny that sin is an issue in our lives, but there's something in us that we say, listen, this is what John says in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, then we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So there are, there's that reality that we get to the place where we think we're exempt from sin. That's not a part of me. That's something in somebody else's life, but it's not a part of my life. I, I, don't, I don't struggle with that. That's not my issue. I, yeah, he, he, there's a person in our culture, and his name is Donald Trump, who thinks that's true of himself. He doesn't need God's forgiveness because he doesn't, he doesn't make any mistakes. Well, I won't get political at all. I won't say anything more about Donald Trump, but he's just a good example, okay? Just, but think about that, that we start to actually think in our lives, it may not be something that we make public state, a public statement on, but we live with like, sin's not really an issue. I don't have sin in my life. But then you come to the scriptures and you realize that all of us have something very, very powerful that connects us that the cross is more powerful. But listen to this. If you think you don't have sin as an issue, if you don't have the capacity to sin, then listen to Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. This is Paul wor- Paul's words in a paraphrase called The Message. It says, there's nobody living right, not even one. Nobody who knows the score, nobody alert for God. They've all taken the wrong turn. They've all wandered down blind alleys. No one's living right. I can't find a single one. Nobody says to me, that is my life verse. That's the verse I hang everything on which basically says all of humanity is in a world of hurt apart from Jesus. Every single human being is broken by nature and has sin as an issue. There isn't anyone good or perfect. I know for some of you, that is a newsflash today to come to grips with. But the importance of that is not so you and I kind of mope around and go, oh, woe's me, I'm a broken person, there's none good. No, it's the reality is that's where, that's where forgiveness and health begin is when we can acknowledge what God already knows is true about us, that we're broken. Not one of us is good enough. And when we start there, then we can see God begin to build in our life. But, but the this, this struggle, and I think one of the, the biggest masks that we put on, I think sometimes even more so in the church, is the mask of pride. Because pride says to you and I, when we are confronted with our brokenness and our sin and our failure, pride immediately attaches itself to our face and says, don't admit it. Don't admit it. You, you, just can't, you can't be honest about that. You have to lie because you have to make sure that, that people think something's true of you that's not true. This started at the beginning of time. Remember Adam and Eve? Remember there in the garden, God says, listen, you can basically do anything. Just don't eat from this one tree. And then they eat from the tree, and when God comes walking in the garden, you remember Adam's response to God? God's pretty much, okay, what's going on, guys? And Adam says, hey, the woman you gave me ate the fruit. So he says, it's the woman's fault, and it's your fault because you gave the woman to me. So in one sentence, Adam's able to blame God and blame Eve for his own sin. You and I do that. We find a way to deflect. I don't want to admit it. I'm going to put the mask of pride. And in the church, we do it all the time. We get prideful instead of just removing the mask. Side note, I said this last week. I think I said it first. But, but I, I want to, I admire, where's Danny at? Is Danny in the service? Danny's vulnerability as a human being, a follower of Jesus. I love it. Some people are like, oh my gosh, the worship leader didn't pray this week. He didn't open his Bible this week. Oh my gosh. No, Danny was honest about his journey in following Jesus. I love that. Why? Because that's what we need to be. It doesn't mean that we just spill everything to everybody, but we're honest about where we are. Because all of us are at a place in somewhere that God is in this journey of helping us to recover from our sin and brokenness and confusion. And the only way sometimes that we get free from that is when other people share their journey about what they're walking through. 
That's what it means to be authentic. What's inside comes to the surface. So now, transitioning, after we come to grips with the fact that we are in denial about darkness, there is a pathway that God lays out for us to live in the light, and that requires a few things on our behalf. Look at verse 7. The first thing of living in light requires is it requires that we remain, or learning to remain in the light. So when God shines his light, when we finally get the mask off, the reality is it's hard to stay in the light because we want to keep we want to keep the mask on or we realize there's a spotlight on us, not a bad spotlight, but a good spotlight. And we know if we step to the right or left, we could step out of it for just a moment and we could be concealed and hidden and in darkness again. But it's this ability to stay in it. So John says in verse seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light. That means where there's a process. It doesn't mean that we just stand there stationary. There's a journey that we're walking out as God is walking us forward in the light. It's almost like the imagery of a moving spotlight. The spotlight is moving, and God's spotlight's not moving, so wherever we move, God's spotlight is. God's spotlight is moving, so we'll follow it as we walk with him, so we stay in the light. And then John says there's two results of remaining in the light, allowing God to shine his light into our lives, not hiding in darkness, not putting the mask on. The first one is this. Right relationships. John goes on and he says, we have fellowship with one another. We have a bond. We have relationship with each other that is right. The reason that's so important is because many of us, we all struggle with relationships with each other. Maintaining healthy, good relationships with each other. Not just tolerating each other, but actually getting along to the point where we actually express genuine love and appreciation for each other. In healthy contexts, where we don't stab people in, in the back, or we don't gossip, or we don't, we don't think ill of other people. We actually ch- choose to love people. That's healthy relationships. And that's what John's saying. As a result of walking in the light is that your relationships will be right with other people. Relational maintenance is really difficult because by, by our own nature, we're going to end up hurting each other or saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. That's why we have to constantly come back to not only how am I doing with God, but how am I doing with people? How am I doing in their lives? There's a, many of us are, are meet in life transformation groups. You get a little bookmark that you stick in your Bible and and you meet every week, and, and I'll tell you, LTGs are not for sissies because these have some serious accountability questions that you have to answer every week. So for those of you who aren't in LTG, let me just read a couple of questions. This will scare you straight so you won't want to do it. So anyway, so these are the qu- things you have to a- answer. These have to do with relationships. Let me just read four of the questions. The fourth question on this list is, have you been honoring, understanding, and generous in your important relationships this week? Woo! Oh, sure. Yes, I've been completely understanding, completely honoring, and completely generous in all of my relationships. Ask my wife and my kids if that's true. (laughs) This fifth question, have you damaged another person by your words either behind their back or face to face? Number six on this list, have you given into an addictive behavior? That's not necessarily relational, but it's there. How about seven and eight? Have you continued to remain angry toward another person? Number eight, have you secretly wished for another's misfortune? You know, the Trump Trump card on this one is question 12. Have you been honest with me? Have you told me the truth? Why, why are those questions there? Because you and I have a tendency to struggle in those areas. And that reminder, again, if I'm walking in the light, then I'm going to let God show me the mirror, the reflection of my broken relationships so that I can deal with those things and I can find health. And then there's a second, second result of walking in the light, and that is actually having a clear conscience, which for some of us, that's... That's hard to attain. 
He says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Just let that statement settle in. All of our sin, all of our brokenness, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all of that. It washes it all away. It's all gone. You know what that means? There's no more drama. There's no more tension. There's no more struggle. There's no more managing my life to figure out what compartment I'm in right now because I don't have to worry about compartments because there is no compartments in my life. But some of us, our life is exhausting because all we're doing is we're managing the spinning plates in each of the compartments hoping that they don't fall. And we don't know what it is to have a clear conscience because deep down inside there's this, just this debris that's inside of us that we won't let come to the surface. And so every day of our lives we live with this overwhelming anxiety of what we're trying to keep hidden inside of us. But what John is saying is, listen, if you will, and we'll talk about it in a moment, but this thing called confession, you bring it to the surface, you and I experience a purity and a cleansing that gets rid of our sins, so there's no more hiding anything. I don't have to manage my life anymore. I don't have to manage my sin. I don't have to worry about what what people are going to think or what people are going to say, or or how do I say it to this person or that person so that they really don't know what's going on inside of me. Can you imagine what it would be like to be fully who you are? Can you imagine what it would be like to walk in a room and not worry about how I'm going to say things or how people think of me or what I don't want to talk to that person because my relationship's not good with them or I don't want them to know. Can you imagine what life would be like if all that was gone and you just got to be you? You just got to be yourself the way God created you to be because what happens in life, and this is true for all of us, is that when sin occurs and we don't deal with it and we try to keep it in a compartment, it always leads to a second and a third and a fourth, and a fifth generation, and a sixth generation. Sin just keeps going. Sin doesn't know compartments. It just starts bleeding out into every area of our life. And it may start small. It might start with a small compromise that's undealt with, and then it just gets bigger and bigger. Before you know it, life's completely out of control. King David, perfect example. His first mistake before he sinned with Bathsheba and murdered her husband was he should have gone off to war like kings were supposed to, but he stayed at home and he was in the wrong place at the wrong time because he was idle and he was where he wasn't supposed to be. He's out at night and he knows where Bathsheba lives. I guarantee it. He's a smart guy and figures out when she bathes. And so he sees her. And if that's not bad enough, he's not off to war. Then he's seen a woman that he shouldn't see. Then he calls for her. They sleep together and then she gets pregnant. Now that's bad enough, but he could have stopped there, but he didn't. So he tried to hide his sin. He tried to keep it in the compartment. So what did he do? He calls Uriah, her husband, back from the front lines and says, I'm going to get this guy drunk. I'm going to have him have sleep with his wife. Then we can blame the pregnancy on him. And I'm clean. I'm good. The problem is Uriah didn't buy it. He wouldn't even go sleep with his wife. So he's like, well, that's not going to work. So he sends Uriah back out to the front line, pulls all of the troops back, and lets Uriah get slaughtered by the enemy. So in that, that series... David compromised in one place, and it led to what? Being an adulterer and a murderer. It was just this little compromise over here. But he couldn't manage it because he didn't realize that he's living in this drama of his own sin and brokenness. When I was a kid, there was a, a this, this will show you how old I am. Some of you might even remember this. There was a video game called Defender. You remember when people used to actually go to an arcade and actually played video games? You didn't come like with Xbox or PS4 or whatever you have. You actually went and paid, and you put a quarter, remember that, or a token? You remember those old things? And there was this video game called Defender. Remember, all, all video games from the 1980s were based on humans fighting aliens. Remember? That was like every video game, some variation was that game. 
in Defender, you're trying to save people. You're flying into space, and then you fly down, and you you'd rescue people. But every once in a while, the screen would just get crazy hairy with all these aliens, and you're like trying to shoot them, and they're shooting at you. And in, in each game, you had three of these things called smart bombs. And all you had to do was when it got too hairy for you, too crazy, you hit the button, and the smart bomb just literally destroys everything on the screen. It like clears it out. You're like, whew. I'm saving the world still. I'm still in the game, right? And so it was like, it just kind of cleared the deck. And, and I think sometimes we don't realize we have something far more powerful than that. We have the blood of Jesus that clears everything. But we don't live in it. When we get into the place, even at every moment of David's compromise, he could have said, listen, I know that I have a God through sacrifice who will forgive me. And all I have to do is stop right here and he will clear it for me. And if we did that, we would save ourselves so much pain we would save others pain in our life if we would just realize that we have the blood of Jesus that purifies us. And then there's a, the, the final thing, or excuse me, the, the second thing of, of living in the light, what it requires of us. First, it requires that we live in the light. Second, it requires that we, this is a hard one, we confess or learn to, be, to confess our sin. So verse 9, John says, if we confess our sins. He doesn't say when, he says if. Why? Because he knows that we struggle with this. If, which means we have to choose to do it. Confession is the ultimate act of authenticity. Confession takes what's inside of here that we want to keep hidden, that we don't want people to know, and we think that God doesn't know, and it's bringing it to the surface and acknowledging it. Confession is the simple act of saying what is true about your sin, what God already knows to be true about your sin. It's not some surprise when we confess, God doesn't go, oh, I had no idea you were involved with that. He knows. He already knows. He's just waiting for us to come to grips with it. And I think there's sometimes, I think sometimes in, in the Protestant church as opposed to the Catholic church, we've lost the art of confession. Now in the Catholic church, like, oh, I have to go to the priest, I have to go to confession. Please don't come to me to confess your sin, okay? Some people do, but we have this thing called the priesthood of believers, which means we all are equally equipped to listen to other people confess their sin and let that come out. But sometimes that we don't like to do that. But John goes on in, in this verse, and just as he did in the previous verse, he said there's two results of confession. The first one is forgiveness. He says, he goes on, he says, he is faithful, talking about God, and just, and will forgive us our sins. If we confess, he will forgive. Do you hear that? If we confess, he will forgive. Not if we confess, he might forgive us. If it's a good day for God, he might do it. If he's, you catch him on his good side, he might do it. No, if we confess our sin, he will forgive us. Why am I pushing that point? Because I know that many of us don't really believe that. When we ask for forgiveness, we think somehow in our mind that God has this box hidden away somewhere that he's just tucking all our sins away, and someday he's going to pull them all out, even the ones we've confessed. He's going to go, see, here it is. You know why we think that of God? Because that's what we do to each other. Even when someone asks for forgiveness, we still, we, we, not, we lock that thing in. I know I'm, I've been guilty with, with my kids. We walk through forgiveness and I'll bring them, hey, you did it again. And you're like, oh, but I forgave them for it. Can't do it. No record of wrong. God takes it and rips it up and it's gone, right? We can't bring it back. That's what forgiveness is. It isn't that God says, okay, well, I'm going to kind of tuck your sins away. No, it's gone, his love keeps no record of wrong when we ask for forgiveness, when we confess our sin. And we actually can be forgiven. That's important because if we don't really believe that, you know what happens is that we get a greater and greater uh, barrier between us and God. 
Because even though we confessed it or we asked for forgiveness, but we really don't believe it, we keep bringing it back and bringing it back and bringing it back. And so guilt and shame enters the equation and we get further and further away from God. Why? Because every time we feel like we get close to God, we're reminded of our own sin that he's already forgiven. And it's this cycle that goes on and on and on and on. And I've seen this as a pastor so many times in the life of people. It's amazing how much God can forgive that we can't forgive of ourselves. It's not that we get free reign to go sin and because, oh, I got forgiveness so I can go sin and do anything I want to do. No, it's the reality of living in God's forgiveness, which means he has truly lifted this off of me. And I no longer have to be, a, there has, doesn't have to be this awkwardness between me and God. It's kind of like one of the, the unique things as a pastor is sometimes in every church that I pastored, people, I don't know where they get the idea, they think that the pastor takes attendance of church on Sunday morning. Like, like if you didn't show up, it's like when I've, I'll be out, like uh, Tapo Canyon is a perfect, at the food court, or when we were up in Newburgh, there was a place called Fred Meyer, and half the city went to Fred Meyer after church on Sunday or whenever, and you'd run into people, and it's so funny, as a pastor, I run into people all the time, and I can tell people who don't want to talk to me. And it's usually the people who haven't been to church in a few weeks. As though Pastor John opens his Bible and he's got a little ledger and every single person's attendance record is right there. I, sorry, sometimes I didn't even know you're not here. I know I'm really a bad pastor, just being honest. So if you say, hey, I was gone the last couple weeks, I'm like, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were gone. There's a few hundred of you, I don't know sometimes, right? <laughs> but the, this is the reality that sometimes I think that we, because for me it's funny as a pastor because people, I will be in the store and people like, most people you do come up and talk to me, but other people like, I can see it on that, like, oh, they pretend they don't see me, like, oh, I want to go on this. They end on the, they, then they end up on the alcohol aisle. I'm like, oh, I didn't want to be here. Pastor John's in the store, right? <laughs> You're trying to avoid, and I think sometimes we don't, we don't realize we're actually forgiven. We do that with God. There's this avoidance. You can actually show up to church and avoid God still. You can open your Bible and avoid God. You can even pray and avoid God. Why? Because you know there's something still unresolved inside of you because you don't think that you're truly forgiven, so you feel a disconnect with God. Instead of truly believing, no, he said, if I confess, he is faithful and just and will forgive. Then the second result of this confession is a thing called purity. Purity, and he says, and purify us from all unrighteousness. Can you imagine if you literally had nothing to hide in your life? Nothing. That you didn't have to worry about things from your past or even things from your present. That God had made you pure and right so that there was nothing to hide. You didn't have to worry about what people thought. Now think about it. When people come over to your house, it's different for different people. But what room do you not want people to go into? Most people say the bedroom, okay? Other people will say, I don't want you to go in my garage because you'll see that I'm a pack rat and I have everything from all of my life, right? So there's certain places that we don't want people to go. Why is that? It's because inside of us, we think if they see what's in that room, they're going to know who I really am. And I don't want them to know that. We just moved this weekend and uh, we were getting new blinds and we, we painted downstairs in our house and so we took out all of the blinds. It's really unique to live in a house with tons of windows and absolutely no privacy whatsoever. So last night we were going to bed after kind of unpacking some things, and we're kinda, I kind of went in the living room. I'm like, wow, okay, one, two, three. There's like six houses that look right into our living room. And I turn my light on, and it's like a beacon. Whoop, whoop, whoop. I got up early this morning to go pray, and I turn the light on. I'm like, wow, I wonder who's up early. But I think they know I'm up early because they're all looking in. And it's really weird. You walk in when there's all these windows, and you're like, it makes you think about, what do I do when the blinds are closed? <laughs> I don't walk around in my under that often, but I mean, what do I do? It's like, 
and you, but you start thinking about, I'm seriously, I'm sitting on my couch this morning thinking about how I'm acting as though people really are up at five o'clock looking into our window. I know it's all in my head, right? But you just think about that's the way we live our life. Like I'm, I'm exposed. Oh no, I'm exposed. So I, I need to make sure that they don't know this part of me. But if through confession, we actually are forgiven and then we are purified, that means it doesn't matter. Because there's nothing for me to hide. I don't have to worry about what people see. And that's so important because that leads us to a place of being fully integrated, being fully at peace with our lives, not having to worry about what other people think about us or what they see in our lives. And then finally, living in the light requires remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. So the first two verses of chapter 2 really are connected to chapter 1. John says, my little children, which was an endearing term, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But he knows people. He says, but if anyone does sin, which is all of us, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for all, only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So what is he saying? He's kind of ending with this to remind us, if you sin, which you will, you have to be reminded that you have Jesus Christ on your side who has given his life, who's died on the cross, and has sacrificed everything to be the payment for your sin so you no longer have to live in that. You no longer have to hide. You no longer have to be fake. You no longer have to put on a mask. Why? Because what Jesus has done is brought a pl something to us that allows us to pull back the mask of our broken lives so that sometimes others, and for sure, Jesus can see what's going on in us, not to reject us, not to judge, uh, judge us, but to forgive us and to purify us and to make us right before him. We have that sacrifice on our behalf, and we can never forget that. And why that, that might be, if you've been in church for a long time, you think, oh, I get that. I know we, we celebrate through communion, and we did that last week, and it's about Jesus' sacrifice. And, but why should we be reminded of that? Because Jesus said something very important when he celebrated the first, what we would call communion, or the Lord's Supper, with his disciples. When they broke the bread and they took the cup, what did he say to them? He said, do this to remember me. Why? Because every single day of our life, we have spiritual amnesia, and we forget that Jesus has died on the cross for us. We forget that we have the capacity to be forgiven, to be purified, to be right. We have that every single moment of every single day. But how many times do we forget that? How many times do we forget what is so easily accessible and becomes really the last resort should be the first option? We do that. The first option should be Jesus' death on the cross, his bloodshed for me means that I don't have to live in this. I don't have to be in compartments. I don't have to be a hypocrite. I can be honest about my brokenness and receive forgiveness and be pure and right before him. But I just, I choose every other option. That becomes the last one. The most obvious one becomes the one that's the hardest. When we were in, in Uganda with a team, Kim and I, were, we were in the northern part of Uganda in a, in a city called Lira. And in Uganda, in a lot of cities like in, in Africa, um, electricity is optional. It's hit and miss. It's on sometimes, and it's not. And so different places that you would stay, sometimes you would be with no electricity. Sometimes they would have a generator. So when the power grid would go down, you have generators. So we're in a hotel that had its own generator in this one particular city. And so uh, they knew, it's kind of funny, Americans, we just to be honest, Americans, we're pansies. We're, we're such lightweights when it comes to traveling. So there was, our team was made up of, of six, there were a mixed team, but six of us were Americans. And so on the team, 
uh, when we walk into the hotel, you can tell, oh, it's the Americans have arrived, right? You know, they stick out like a sore thumb. And so at they, they kept the generator on. The power grid went down. The entire city's in the dark. But there's light in this hotel because the Americans are staying there. And so, so about 2 in the morning, they shut the generator down. And that means, no joke, it's like 90 degrees and 95% humidity. So you're just, you know, you had a little fan. That was your only hope. Now that fan is gone. And so now you're just sweating it out. And we had to get up about 5.30. We had a, a, a long travel day ahead. And so we get up. The power's still off. And it's pitch black. I mean, literally, there's no street lights. There's no lights in the city. There was, it, the moon was barely out that night. So you just couldn't see anything. So Kim and I get out of bed. And we're like, we're bumping into walls. We're running into the bed. You know, you can't trying to shower, and all the hot water's tied to electricity, so you're, you can't do anything, and so we're like, for like five minutes, we're stumbling around, and finally, Kim says the obvious. She goes, I wonder if you walk downstairs, if you just ask them if they would turn the generator on, if they would turn it on for us, and I'm sitting there in the dark going, duh, why not? So I stumble down the stairs, and as I get to the front desk, there's a guy at the front desk at 5.30 in the morning, and I could see his smile in the dark, as he looks at me, because I know what he's smiling about, here comes the American. And I look at him, I said, would you be willing to turn the generator on for us? And he goes, oh, no problem. He goes out of the little office in the room, you hear this, and this thing kicks on, and all the lights go on. And I walk upstairs. This is kind of the story of Kim and I. She always says, why don't you just ask? Ask the obvious. They might say yes. And I come up, and she's smiling, and I'm smiling. I said, yes, they said they would do it for us. The obvious, but it took me five minutes and a couple of like, you know, banged shins and bruised knees and finally realized, you know what, I don't have to be in this darkness anymore. And I think for some of us, we stumble around the darkness like, I got to figure this out. I got to figure how to get out of this. And Jesus, who has given his life for you, is saying, listen, all you have to do is ask. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is confess your brokenness to me. And I will be faithful and I will forgive you and I will purify you and I will make you right with me. We have that. That's our first option. Really, that's the only option. I'm going to ask you if you close your eyes. I'm going to pray, and the worship team is going to join us for one uh, last song together, just as a point of reflection. But as we conclude this morning, I, I, I want the opportunity for response in the hearts of some people who are maybe here today, and, and you know that there's something that's stirring inside of you about what it would look like for your life to truly be authentic. You've come here today, and you're, you're living in a lot of tension. And you may be in one of two camps. You're living in a lot of tension. You, you've made some kind of commitment to who Jesus is in your life previously, but you know you've recently, you've been, you've been trying to manage your sin. You've been trying to manage your compartments. And if you'd be honest, you know, you're, you're, you're the person who's trying to keep all the plates spinning. And even though you might be keeping them up on that stick and they're spinning, but you know that they're slowing down, and eventually one of them's going to fall. And if one of them falls, you know they're all going to fall. But you've walked in here today and you've heard that you don't have to live in that. You don't have to live in that tension or that anxiety because Jesus has given his life so that you can truly be authentic, that you can bring to the surface your brokenness so that he can bring his forgiveness to bear. But you also may be in a, another group of people that, that in your life you know that you've desired authenticity. You've desired to not live in this tension of compartments. But you know that there's never been that place in your life where you realized for the first time, you know what, I, I can't do this, and, and I can't even do my own life. What you're coming to is you're coming to a place of absolute surrender where you realize that I've tried to manage my sin and brokenness. I've tried to put on the mask. I've tried to live life the way I can, but it just seems to be all falling apart inside, and I, and I know I don't have the answer to it. 
Jesus is the one, is, he is the answer for you today. Because not only did he come to give his life and die for you, but he came through that with an invitation for you. He doesn't just want your sin, but he'll take that because he'll forgive it because he's paid for it. He wants you because you are far more valuable and important than your sin. But he knows in order to get you, he's got to deal with your sin. So he's done that. And he can bring freedom and purity in your life if you will even now as we'll begin to worship. You, you just begin to confess and say, yeah, this is the stuff, Jesus. This is the stuff that's been in my life. This is the stuff you already know about. This is me peeling back the mask. But once you do that, what, he's, what you're left with is a life now that God wants you to live that you can't live on your own because you've tried. It's only a life that you can live with him. And that means no longer following your script, following your way but it's turning your life over to him and saying, now I choose to live in the light. And as the light moves forward, I follow the light. I no longer go back into the darkness. If what I'm describing is what you're desiring, what you're desiring is you're desiring a relationship with Jesus. You're desiring what it means to come to faith and follow Jesus in your life. Because if that's you right now, then as we sing, you just begin to, in your words, begin to tell Jesus, he's here by spirit, that that's what you want. Say, I want you. I want to be freed from my sin so I can be fully connected to you. And as we sing, I'm going to ask you, as we conclude after this song, I, I want you to know, either you you need to do some one of two things. Tell somebody who came you came with today that maybe you know they know Jesus and say, this is what I'm doing today. You need to get that out. And if you don't have that person, I'll be in the back as we dismiss. You can come talk to me. I just want to agree. Yeah, this is that day. I'm surrendering. I'm not, I'm not playing the game anymore. I'm not living behind the mask. I'm not living in compartments. I'm bringing everything to the forefront so that I can choose to follow Jesus. Lord, would you bring us to a place where we are fully alive, fully integrated, fully authentic before you in everything that we do. We thank you, Jesus, in your name.